Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to, uh, to the book of Luke, the book of Luke chapter 4. We'll be beginning with verse number uh, 14 uh, this morning. And um, I just want to, again, just appreciate it. I mean, it's just so good to be back, uh, being able to preach to you this morning. Thank everybody once again uh, for all your calls, Lord, and, all, and for all your, uh, your prayers and just all your encouragement during the, the time of the loss of my mom. Just continue to pray for me, uh, continue to pray for, uh, for my brother, and uh, he'll be down, uh, coming down uh, uh, this week, and we'll be working uh, hard to try to get some, uh, some things taken care of. So pray for us this week. Uh, I want to thank Brother Roger, uh, Roger Lee, for filling in uh, last week. Uh, did a great job. Glad I was able to, uh, to come here and listen to him. And I know a lot of you uh, enjoyed reminiscing about the time that, uh, that he was here and how the Lord was, used him to uh, uh, shepherd this flock uh, in the time that he was here. But, uh, you know, during the, the, the time of having to, uh, to go through this, uh, it really hit home with the, uh, the Scripture and the passage that we read uh, this morning because the Scripture and the passage that we read this morning is talking about going home. And uh, going home can sometimes be a very uh, difficult time for me because uh, I was a weird, weird kid growing up, okay? Uh, I, didn't really, I didn't really talk to a lot of people. I, I was very shy. I was very reserved. I was very kind of, uh, kind of to myself. And uh, so I, I, really didn't, uh, I really didn't fit in a lot of places, especially growing up. And uh, I remember uh, when I was a kid and uh, through most of my teenage years, we went to the uh, First Baptist Church there in, uh, in Hazelhurst. And uh, everybody was, I guess, as kind as they could to be to me. But uh, I, I was weird and I just really never seemed to, uh, to fit in. I was just awkward in everything that, that I, I did. And uh, some of y'all call me Tim. And Timothy is actually not my real legal name. My real legal name is Jeff's brother, okay? Because uh, my older brother, Jeff, everybody loved him. He was a lot more outgoing. He was a lot more to the people. And uh, we, uh, we looked a good bit of the same. And so, uh, you know, that, nobody really knew something about Tim. All they knew about Tim is that he was Jeff's brother. And I'd see people on the street, and I'd walk in the store, Hey, Jeff! It's like, I'm Tim. And like, oh, How's Jeff doing? <laughs> it's like when you tell them there's Jeff, they didn't want to talk to me no more. But what we have to, but what I understood is uh, sometimes it was it was really difficult. And uh, we, uh, the church we went to, all all the youth and all the teenagers, they all went to uh, went to the the academy. And of course, we went to the public school, so I didn't really get to socialize much with them there at church, and so I really didn't fit in. And uh, and so I always felt out of place going home and going to that church. And I think that even as I grew out of that, and I, I moved on uh, to another place, had great friends, grew up, uh, got rid of some of the weirdness, and, um, and, and started, started preaching, God you know, doing things to me, learning through, actually developing some social skills. But it was always weird. It was always weird going back to that church because it always seemed that regardless of what I did and regardless of what I become and regardless of what I was now, you would always just feel the weight. And sometimes I would just walk in that church and even though uh, the Lord has blessed me with the skill to, uh, to, to preach and to, to, to do things, when I walked in that church, it always just felt like a sense of, uh, of kryptonite. And you always just felt like, man, you just couldn't do nothing in that place because you would just walk in and you would just feel the vibes of the people who never really grew, let you grow out 
of who you used to be. And so it's always difficult going home. And this morning in our scripture, we, we learn about a time to which Jesus, he went back home and he'd done many great things and he was now proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. But most of the people there rejected him because when they looked at Jesus, they didn't see the Messiah. They just saw that young boy who grew up amongst them. So let's read these verses and let's see what the Lord had to say to the people and how Jesus encouraged us that we can become something new. So if you turn your Bible, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 4, beginning with verse number 14, it says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and report about him went out through all the surrounding countries, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, to Nazareth, and he had been where he had been brought up. And it was, and as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The scripture, I mean, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering all the sight to the blind and to, and to uh, set at liberty those who are opposed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And, they said to him, and he said to them, uh, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What you have heard, you did not in Capernaum do here in our hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in the truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zephyrath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many leopards in Israel, in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all of the synagogue was filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him and to, to, the, uh, to the brow of the hill into which of the town was built, so that they might throw him down off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many things, Lord, that you blessed us with. Lord, we thank you that you are more than a man. Lord, that you are more than a little boy, but you are the chosen Messiah. But Lord, that we see even here more. Lord, that even as others reject you because they just can't get past you being the Lord and Savior, someone that they have to worship and obey, they reject you, but Lord, you come to those who will call upon your name and you take them and you save them. 
and you make them new. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The verses that we read, those first two verses of uh, this scripture, verses 14 and 15 bring us to what we had uh, the last time we were together when we talked about the temptation of Jesus Christ. And we learned something very important in these two verses that are given to us after that temptation to which he faced. And as he came down from the mountain, we see, or as he came out of that desert experience, we see what kind of frame of mind it did, what it actually produced in his life. And listen to what it says in verse number 14. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So through that time of wilderness experience, through that time of temptation and trial, it developed power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of us in, life, in our life, when we pray to God, we want God to fill us with a spirit and that he will and that we should pray. But we want him to fill it to that we have that max amount of power so that we can go out and do the things that we need to do. But in a sense, it really doesn't work that way. But what God tells for us is that he fills us with just that grain, that little bit of seed, that little bit of mustard seed of faith. And it's only when we act in faith, it's only when we do things to the power of the Spirit that we actually grow in our power. A lot of people wait, want to get, wait till they get to a certain place in their life before they do things with God. But what God says to us this morning is that when we step out on faith, when we put our foot forward, when we go out and we seek to do great things from God, it's through doing those things that God empowers us through His Spirit. And so here's what happened. Jesus went through a time of wilderness experience. He went through a time of trial. He went through a time of temptation. He went through a time to which He had to empty His flesh, to which He had to deny Himself. And in denying of His flesh, He spent that time to build up the Spirit. And through that time of building up the Spirit, He was able to overcome Satan's temptations. And through that experience, He grew in the power of the Spirit. And so now as He goes on the next thing, He goes with a greater sense of confidence. He goes with a greater sense of faith, knowing that God is there with us. And the same thing is true for us. If we'll just take a simple step of faith, if we'll just get the thing started, then God will bring us through that time. And when we get to the next thing, we'll even be stronger in our faith. We'll even have more confidence in the Lord. And when we go to the next thing and do that, we'll come out the other side in greater faith and greater strength and greater power. And it just keeps building and building and building on itself. And that's how we grow. And listen to what he says, that as he went through that experience, people recognized it. And so the word of him spread. You know, a lot of people want the word of God to spread through this community, don't we? A lot of people, we want to see people come to be saved. A lot of people, you know, we want to see people come to this church. But you know what? It's when we do things in the Lord. It's when we attempt things for Him, it's when people get to see Jesus at work, and it's then when the Word of God spreads. It's not by just sitting here. It doesn't matter about us just sitting here singing songs. 
It doesn't matter how long the preacher preaches or how good the preacher preaches, but it's when the world sees the the Spirit of God working in us. That's when people take notice. And so they took, and so they were, people were taking notice. He was powered in the Spirit. He was taking notice. And then it said he went through and he was teaching in the synagogues. He went to the people who were curious about the scriptures. And he talked to them about the scriptures. And Jesus is teaching. Even amongst his healing, the central part of what Jesus did was preaching and teaching. And through that process of him, empowered by the Spirit, growing in strength, it spread throughout the world, and it spread throughout that community, and he spent his time teaching, and he glor- and the people glorified it. All the world glorified him when they heard about the things that Jesus was doing. That's the way that it works in our lives, that if we just allow God to work in our life, then we will develop not only strength for ourselves, but we will be a witness to those who are around us. But it's amazing in these two verses how Luke uses it to set up the next passage. Because what he did is said, here's Jesus. Buddy, he's full of power. He's doing miracles. Everybody's recognizing him. Everybody's saying that Jesus is doing great things. They're loving the miracles. They're responding to his message. And everybody was glorifying him. And everybody was praising him. And then in verse number 16, it says, And then he went to his hometown. Then he went to his hometown. And could you just imagine that Jesus had been in the early part of his ministry. He'd been to Capernaum, and he'd been to the, the, uh, the, the wedding at Canaan. He'd been to some of those other places. He's done some miracles. He's taught some things. And now here's Jesus, and Jesus is now at church there in the synagogue. And I'm sure everybody was wondering what they were going to hear from Jesus this morning because they've heard all the stories. And so they go through their, their service, and their service is a lot like ours. They'd sing uh, a couple of little songs, but really the central of their uh, worship service was actually the hearing of the Word of God. They would have a reading from, from uh, the Pentateuch, you know, the first five books of the New Testament. They would have a reading from some of the wisdom re- uh, literature, you know, the Psalms and the Proverbs and the things like that. And then they would have a reading from the prophets. And so Jesus was called on to read one of the verses, and he was called on to read from the prophets. And so he goes and he takes the scroll, because not everybody had a Bible. They had, they had their scrolls that were there in the church, and he unrolled the scroll, and his assignment was, for reading was from Isaiah 61. And he read those verses, and those verses were about the coming day of the favor of the Lord. And so he read those verses about all the things that the Lord would do. And everybody recognized that those were verses that were attributed to the Messiah. And so he read those verses and he rolled up the scroll and he sat back down. Because back then the preachers, they, they sat down. Could you just imagine that? I don't think I could do that. But anyway, he sat down. And it comes to the point where if there was a rabbi or if there was a teacher, 
they would expound on the scripture. And so Jesus sat down and they were waiting to hear what he had to say. And Jesus opened his mouth and said, today in your hearing, those verses are fulfilled. And everybody was just astonished at what a great word, what a great word that Jesus had brought. Promising the coming of the Messiah, a time of healing, a time of restoration. But it's then the doubt began to set in their heart because as they're pondering these strong words, as they are pondering these things that Jesus had said, they began speaking in their hearts, isn't this Joseph's son? In Matthew, you read a later account of another visit he made there. And it said, hey, uh, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this uh, Mary's son? Isn't his brothers and sisters here with us? Haven't we known him since he was this high? Since, you know, they were probably there that kept him at the nursery there at the synagogue that remembered him. And now he's this supposedly great teacher. Where has he gotten his education? Where does he have his authority? Because we remember Jesus. We remember Jesus. We know who Jesus is. We've known him for over 30 years. Where did this come from? And so that doubt began to set in their minds. They were looking for a Messiah, but they said, surely he could not be it because we remember him when he was a little boy. And he didn't do any great things back then. So what makes us think he can do those things now? And Jesus said to them, this proverb will be spoken in your presence. And listen to this proverb uh, that he says. He says, physicians, heal yourself. What you have have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in the hometown as well. Jesus knew their hearts. Isn't that a scary thing? Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows when we have times of doubt. Jesus knows when we say we're going to do something when we're not going to do it. Jesus knows when we're just speaking hot air. Jesus knows when we're just cared about by emotions and won't follow through. Jesus knew the people's heart. You see, the verse that Jesus read there in Isaiah talked about the coming of the day of the Lord and the day or the coming of the favor of the Lord. And what he was referring to is the day of Jubilee. And what is the day of Jubilee? It's the holiday that no one in Israel ever observed. And if you go back into the Pentateuch, you hear about the day of Ju- or the year of Jubilee. It was to be the year after the seventh Sabbath, the seventh, seventh year. And so if it's the seventh, seventh year, the year after that, that would be every 50 years. And after every 50 years, it was to be a year of favor of the Lord. All debts to be canceled all property to go back to its original owner. 
and a day of rejoicing and rest and restoration for the people. And in the 2,000 years since it had been uh, established in the law, it had never, ever, ever, ever been celebrated. It was just too much. And you think you have a hard time because you always forget about Valentine's Day. By the way, it's Tuesday. Guys, get on that. But just imagine for 2,000 years that you had never, ever, ever observed this holiday. But now as they are reading the Scripture and as that Jesus is proclaiming that now is the day, everybody is excited about it, but yet they had never, ever observed it. And they, Jesus knew that in their heart, their words were just blowing smoke. In their heart, they were just like we are at church on Sunday. We'll say amen to the sermon, but we're not going to go outside these doors and live it, are we? We're going to go outside these doors and we're going to live just the way that we want to. But we'll agree with everything that the preacher's saying. Now, you can fool me and I can fool you but Jesus knows our heart and he knows when we're blowing smoke and we know when you're, and he knows when your amen is a uh-uh. And he knew the condition of their heart and he knew that ultimately they were going to reject him. And that's what the proverb was, is that, that, uh, for that one day you would say to me, him being Jesus, Jesus saying, one day you're going to say to me, physician, heal yourself. And didn't that prophecy come true? Didn't that proverb come true? Because when he was hanging there on the cross, what did the people do their hands up like this and say to Jesus? Jesus, if you are the Son of God, save yourself. And then go on, Jesus would say, you're going to say to me, you know, those things that you did in Capernaum, those things that we know about that you did over here and over there, we believe those things to you, you are true, but we want you to come down and do them here so we can see it for ourselves. In other words, Jesus, prove yourself. They're always demanding a sign. They were always demanding Jesus to prove himself, especially there in Nazareth, because here is a guy proclaiming to be the Messiah. Here's a guy proclaiming to be the Son of God, but their mind just can't get past who he was growing up. And so they rejected Jesus. He couldn't do any great miracles in his own hometown because they didn't believe who he was. To, to them, they were, he was a smart man. To them, he was a little boy that grew up in their town. To them, he was just a carpenter. They never could get past that to see him as a Messiah. What images in your mind, what impressions about Jesus keep you from accepting him as the Lord of your life? Do you think of him as just a prophet? Do you think of him as just a miracle worker? Are you saying that, Jesus, you need to prove yourself, even though I read all these verses about all these things that you've done in Scripture, I need to see it personally for myself before I believe it? 
Can you just believe that salvation isn't real? Is it because you don't believe that you're not really all that bad, that you're actually better than Ronnie, and because you're better than Ronnie, you should get to go to heaven? What is it in your mind that makes you reject Jesus for who he is? But even for those of us who are believers, what keeps us from obeying him as Lord of our life, of really giving him control of our hearts? Because if we truly believe he was who he says he was, then we would live that in our hearts and our life. If we truly believe that he was the son of God, then we would actually treat him like he was God. And if God told us to do something, we would think in our hearts and we would do it. But if we read in scripture what Jesus commands us to do, and we say, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't gonna do that, do we really recognize him as the Lord of our hearts and our lives? What in our minds is keeping us from recognizing Jesus, who he truly was. And then went on further as he gave this proverb because he wants to talk about what happens when people reject him. He said, you know what? In the time of Elijah, you know, there were, there were tons, there were tons of starving widows in the land of Israel. And this was in the northern kingdom. These were the people who had rejected God. And so in that time of famine, during the reign of, uh, during the reign of Ahab, you know, there was, uh, there was famine everywhere, and there were starving widows everywhere, but somehow God sent him all the way up to Sidon, to a widow there to minister to him. And then he said, I want you to think about, uh, I want you to think about during the time of Elisha, I want you to think about during that time and in those things where there was all kinds of people there in Israel who had leprosy, but yet you sent Elijah all the way up to their sworn enemies to heal one of their commanders. And what Jesus wanted them to understand from Scripture is that if you reject him, he doesn't go off and cry It don't hurt his feelings. What Jesus does is he goes to the people who will receive him. And so what Jesus is preaching and what his sermon is there to the people there in his hometown is I'm proclaiming a day that you never celebrated. I'm proclaiming myself to be the Messiah. And you may want that for yourself. You may want the good things that come from that, but you are not going to recognize me as the Son of God. You're not going to recognize me as the Messiah because all you see in your mind when you look at me is the little boy who grew up here in church. But you're going to reject me Regardless of how many signs I do in the world, regardless of how many people I heal, regardless of how many times you hear me preach, regardless of how many times I or how many times I feed you, or how many people I feed, or how many baskets are left over, you are going to reject me. But guess what? It ain't gonna bother me. Because I'll go to the people who will receive me. I pray that's not you this morning. I pray that you will recognize Jesus for who he is. 
I pray that you will recognize Jesus as the one true God. I pray that you will recognize Jesus as the only way to salvation. And that we are not discouraged by the world around us, around all the people who reject Christ, all the people who would worship even Satan just to spite the Christians. Jesus is not bothered by it, and neither should you be, because Jesus will gather around those, not those who reject him, but those who will receive him. And it's those who will receive Jesus Christ that will get to enjoy the time of the Lord's favor. Because the Jews didn't want to celebrate Jubilee, and we don't want to celebrate the year of Jubilee here upon this earth because we don't want to forgive our debts. We don't want to return property. We don't want to be generous. But we know that one day the year of Jubilee will come, the year of restoration, the year of the Lord's favor, when Jesus comes back and makes all things right, and then in heaven when he makes all things new. But you're saying to yourself, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. Jesus can't do anything for me because of our past. I want you to look again at this story and realize how the people rejected Jesus because they didn't believe any good, any wisdom would come out of that little boy at church. But God did something great through his son. And Jesus desires to do the same thing in you. But we have to get beside the point that it's us that'll do the changing. We have to get beside the point or the idea that somehow we can make ourselves new and realize that it's a work of the Spirit of God in you and that he can take your life wherever you are at this moment and he can change you through the power of the Spirit and someone that would be unrecognizable and unbelievable. And when you came back or went back to your hometown, they wouldn't believe you were the same person. God's still in the business of changing life. God's still offer of salvation still there. Will you receive him? Will you accept him for who he truly is? Or will you reject him? I pray that we all receive him and that we all acknowledge him and that we all rededicate our lives to living, living for Jesus, for who he truly is. And that is the Son of God and the author of our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the things that you've blessed us with. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, this morning that it's not about us, Lord, but it's about you. Lord, that you won the victories that we could not win. You fought the battles, Lord, that we can't seem to get past. And Lord, that we just come. We just come on our knees, Lord, accepting what you did for us on the cross. We accept your forgiveness and we accept your healing. 
But Lord, in doing that, Lord, I pray that all of us this morning will accept you as Lord of our life. And as we go throughout our week, we don't say amen on Sunday and say oh no the rest of the week. But we will recognize you as our Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing. Amen.